Well, we'll see how it goes. If we right. got nothing to say, we'll be out of here in 10 minutes. Perfect. That'll never happen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am your moderator, and with me this week is Esposa del Lorax, Chelsea Reinhold. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> Hermano de la Esposa del Del Lorax, Terry. Yeah. yeah. I practiced that four times today, and I, I, ugh. an associate pastor, Bill Calvin. <laughs> Bill, something will, in English. Will you, <laughs> will you pray for us? Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day, for the joy of being together, and we pray that we do really enjoy one another's company, but that we also say something that glorifies you and makes a difference in the life of a listener. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Mm. All right, Scott, what have you got for us? All right. In Would You Rather Land. Oh, that's good. It's the best land. Welcome. Uh, you can get a board All right. for JetBlue so, and fly. As we have a guest today, she'll oh, boy. start uh, by being the judge. Yeah, welcome to the back to the podcast, Chelsea. It's been <laughs> yeah. uh, almost a year. It, yeah, it has been. So thank you for waiting so patiently for Dan to finally quit so that you could take a spot. <laughs> no problem. My pleasure. Dan Marcello, of course, is being trained to be an astronaut. I wondered where he was. Yep. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Makes All sense. Right. Take it away, Scott. All right. That made me think of a movie that I just watched, which is really good. It's on Netflix. It's called Fatherhood. You know this is a real story because you're putting the card back in the With box. With Kevin Hart. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's just where it goes. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's really good. It's a tearjerker for sure, but wow. his wife dies at the beginning. and jeez. Oh, um, and it's about him raising his daughter on his own. Okay. Wow. Uh, but there's like a, a series of shots kind of early on where people just always ask, well, he has the baby and people always ask him, where's the mother? And he just like says a bunch of different things. And one of them is like, she's training to be an astronaut with NASA. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I there you go. see the connection. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. All right. Chelsea, Dan so is you, not dead. As far let's as we know. Be, let's make that clear. <laughs> we haven't seen him. That's true. In like an hour. Um, all right, so Chelsea, in case you are behind the times on the Bloomingdale Church podcast, we are doing the Bloomingdale Church podcast Toastmasters. So would you rather works a little differently now? So okay. each of you are going to take turns being the judge, and yep. the other two are going to argue for one or the other of the two would you rather options, you and see. then the judge decides who wins. Who wins? Bill always so you're wins. the judge to start. I never win. <laughs> Dan always you're going to win one of them this time. Actually, I don't know if that's true. No, wait. Depends on how compelling your argument is. He's going up against me. You're going to be the judge for that one. (laughs) So you'll win in a different sense. All right. So Chelsea, you're the judge. Okay. Max, you're arguing for having it rain rocks the size of baseballs. (laughs) And Bill, you are arguing for having it rain darts. (laughs) So Chelsea, your question, once they're finished arguing their points, is would you rather have it rain rocks the size of baseballs or rain darts? So I will answer the question based on their arguments. Based on, yes, on how convincing you think their argument is. I am going to be very bad at being convincing about any of these things. And you get to decide who you'd like to hear first. Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm going to go with Max because he's always quick-witted. Sorry, Bill. Bill Bill is too. Rarely (laughs) quick-witted. Slow-witted Bill Calvin. (laughs) (laughs) That's the muffin Calvin I remember. All right. Well, I I think uh, it's important to clarify at the beginning, it's raining rocks all the time or just once? Uh, whichever it is, it, it is, is true for both. <laughs> whichever like both it is, you it and is. Bill, it's either once or, or all the time. But Great. either way, it's happening. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I, I think uh, <laughs> what 
<laughs> I don't even. One of the most incredible architectural feats of our society uh, is building sloping roofs so that water, when it falls from the sky, as it customarily does, though apparently not today, uh, can just very easily roll right down that roof into the gutters, out the, the drain pipe. And the beautiful thing about water is that as it falls, it is perfectly spherical, and then as it accelerates, it's, it sort of gains that teardrop shape, but it still retains a lot of the properties of spheres as do rocks, in my opinion. And so uh, the nice thing about raining rocks, if our atmosphere changed that we are raining rocks, we don't have to rebuild our houses. There's no re-roofing that we have to do. They're just gonna, they're gonna roll right off. Um, and then you collect them all. You can build an igloo. The, the Langs had so much fun building an igloo out of snow, snow this winter. You could build an igloo out of rocks. You could build a church out of rocks. It's raining building materials. Now the construction market is gonna go into free fall, but there's also gonna be plenty of new construction for all those flat roofed buildings that cave in from the weight of the rocks. Mm -hmm. uh, and also worth mentioning, you know, every once in a while you can kind of take a look up in the sky and see what it looks like. Not so with darts. The risk is too high. Thank okay. you. Thank you for your. You can decide now if you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've I've heard one side. So the advantage of raining darts is we drive cars with metal roofs. <laughs> we do. So you're just going to get these really slight pings and lose a little bit of paint, but with rocks, you know. They're coming all the way from the sky. Even if they're a small rock, the size of your fist, by the time they hit your car, you're talking about several thousand pounds of force. So they're going to be crashing through windows. They're going to crash right through the roof of the car. People are going to be splattered all over 290 and the Kennedy. There's a lot of gore, a lot of blood. Whereas if it's just darts, well, they're just at best sticking into the metal a little bit, but probably not even doing that. So, oh, God help us. Don't let it be rocks. <laughs> All right, Chelsea. Oh, man. You know, I don't envy either of you having to come up with an argument for either scenario there. Um, this is going to be a weird, weird way of, of coming to my answer. But in the Bible, here we go. There's death by stoning. Hmm. So no, no death, death by darts <laughs> specifically mentioned. So, so we when know you also think the about the added value of aerating your lawn for free, <laughs> I'm going to go with raining darts. <laughs> the game was fixed from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> from the Bible. <laughs> All right, Max, you're the judge. Wow. Ugh. Chelsea, you um, are arguing for having sick. your skin change into vibrant colors according to your emotional state. Aww. Red for anger, blue yes. for sadness, green and so for forth. envy, yeah. pink for fabulous. Yeah, uh, <laughs> fabulous emotion. Uh, and Bill, you are arguing for wildly and uncontrollably flailing your arms around <laughs> whenever you walk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think oh. uh, we got to get Chelsea in the game quick. So. All right. Yes. I got to go right right off the cuff. Right off the cuff. Who Who's judging, Max? I Max am. Judging. All right, Max. So we live in a culture where people hide behind their technology mm. all the mm. time. Mm. Um, these just anonymous 
raging warriors at the keyboard, right? Um, And so people are not really good at actually expressing their emotions in person and in constructive ways. So the value of having your skin change colors um, to reflect your emotion is that it would really force people to express verbally how they're feeling internally in ways that... Mm. um, you know, they'd have to do it in such a way that relationships were maintained because these would be face-to-face interactions with other people versus just behind, you know, a screen, hiding behind technology. Um, and so it was sort of by the nature of the beast force us to get better at expressing how we're feeling and putting it into words, which is really uh, not just a healthy thing for us internally, you know, to not stuff our emotions away and Mm. to not express them, but also to sort of help relationships to grow um, and to have really constructive conversations to work out those emotions. Um, So yes, that is why I think that it would be really a better situation than flailing arms if our skin changed vibrant colors to reflect our emotions. Thank you, Chelsea. The board will consider your proposal. Okay. Bill. Well, coming off a week of day camp, (laughs) I'm thinking of how much fun we were having in the sanctuary with everybody flailing their arms, dancing, doing motions. It was just a blast. By contrast, if we were simply seeing emotional change, seeing kids who are blue and pink and green, that would be, I think, disturbing for the band that was playing. What was all this different feedback? Whereas we were united in the flailing of the arms feedback. God bless the flailers. Uh, God bless the flailers. God bless the flailers. Uh, I'm going to go with the feelings changing colors. Uh, if for no other reason than I think about walking around my kitchen trying to make a salad, trying to make a soup, <laughs> and every step I take, my arms kind of like twitch a little bit, it's going gonna, it's gonna to complicate things. I'm going to have to tie things down in my, in my house, and I don't really want to do that. Think about how many calories you would burn. <laughs> Wow. I know. I yeah, thought for sure that's something you I have to be perfectly up, still in order to be able to eat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Bill, you're the judge for this last one. This okay. is, we've seen this question before, but I, for, for those of you who don't know, which is everyone except for Max, a week or two ago, all the Would You Rather cards fell out of the box and I had to put them all back in. So they're in who knows what order now. Yep. Who knows? Um, so I'm seeing some ones today that are taking me down memory lane. I thought, you know what? We did do this one before, but we didn't do it as a Toastmasters. <laughs> and uh, so, Bill, you are the judge. Chelsea, you are arguing for throwing the ceremonial first pitch at the seventh game of the World Series. <laughs> and Max, you are arguing for getting $3,000 You in monster! Cash. You monster! You know that's not the one I would choose. I know. Okay. That's why. I Repeat the scenario I, for me I again. I hate you so much. Max <laughs> and I got into a big argument about this. this is so, so now I'm making, I'm making him argue the other point. Uh, so, all right. So, Chelsea, you're arguing. I'm so upset. The ceremonial. Ser- ceremonial. Ceremonial first pitch at the seventh game of the World Series. Okay. That's what you're arguing for. Okay. And Max, you're arguing for getting three thousand dollars. Three thousand dollars cash. <laughs> and Bill is the judge. I've already made up my mind. I know, because you're a <laughs> rational human being. Well, the um the benefit or the draw of throwing the pitch, the ceremonial first pitch at the seventh game of the World Series, is that that is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be able to throw it is. that first 
pitch really in that game. Um, not everyone's going to have that opportunity. That's a memory that you can hold for your entire life. You can pass it down to your kids. Um, there's no inheritance tax on it. It's just a memory, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, it also could be filmed and remembered in that way. And you would probably have a little bit of a little bit of fame, five minutes maybe, uh, for being able to pitch that yeah. that first ball at that game. So I think that that is better <laughs> than winning or <laughs> receiving three thousand dollars in cash. <laughs> Max, over to you. You know, I I completely agree. I think only an idiot would possibly even think that that it's worthwhile to take 3000 US dollars True. a currency that could fluctuate at the blink of an eye for and something yet and that is what you must argue don't for you start with me boy <laughs> One of these days, I know why you don't do the Toastmasters. Why? I don't know. <laughs> but it hurts my Good pe- argument, Max. It hurts my feelings. <laughs> so all that to say, I'll give you $3,000 cash if you take the $3,000 cash option. <laughs> That's some high stakes. All right. And then you have $6,000. Are, are you done? Ca- I'm done. <laughs> well... Chelsea, congratulations. You're 2-0 and o today. <laughs> yes. I, I think what you could have done for attacked is consider the people in Africa. <laughs> Throwing out the first pitch of a World Series means absolutely nothing, but $3,000 is like 10 years of income. True. You could build a house, a hospital, feed your family of 50 you could do all that on three thousand dollars. That's true, all but this is kids. you. This is I'm arguing for you to either to do it. Oh, you can give it to them. This is okay. true. Think of all the good things. You could have guilt tripped him to then give that money yeah. to them. Why don't you let one of them throw out the world? Donate all of it to feed my starving children. <laughs> you can't guilt me you into that. You can feed a child <laughs> for a year Bill for eighty eight dollars. Billions over there. What's three thousand gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea. Oh, that was scintillating. Yes. Chelsea, give me a number between one and a thousand and one. Oh my goodness. Uh, 423. 423. This, of course, coming to us from 1001 Things You Always Wanted to Know About the Bible But Never Thought to Ask by Sir J. Stephen Lang, the Duke of Marlbury. Uh, <laughs> number 423 from the section Some Other Highlights The Crown of Thorns. Section. I can't believe we're at some other highlights less than halfway through the book. <laughs> He's completely out of ideas. The crown of thorns. The Gospels state that it was Jesus' fellow Jews who brought about his crucifixion. The Romans, who governed the area, only carried out the sentence, but the Romans came across as cruel and barbarous, barbarous also. The Roman soldiers despised the Jews, and they enjoyed making sport of their captive, the, quote, king of the Jews. They put a crown of thorns on his head and a reed in his hand, a mock crown and scepter, kneeling and saying, hail, king of the Jews. They spat on him and beat him with the reed. Uh, Before he was crucified, he was already humiliated and bleeding. Many artists have painted the mocking of Christ. Um, Is this something I was supposed to not know? Ouch. No, I mean like... It was supposed to be something you always wanted to know, but you never thought to ask. Oh. Like how did the crown of thorns, like why was that a thing? I'm I'm surprised at how little he talked about the crown of thorns. I'm kind of surprised that, I don't know. But I will ask. I wish I picked a different number. Was... (laughs) Sir Lang, Sir Lang. Uh, I will ask um, his humiliation in addition to him being beaten and things like that, but him being mocked, that's also a prophecy, uh, correct? Mm-hmm. Like that's something that he yeah. had yeah, that he had to go through. Mm-hmm. Is there value in asking 
why some of these prophecies exist? Is there value in asking why he had to be humiliated, not just beaten and, and crucified? Because I, I was thinking about this the other day. Danny Munoz made a good case of how Jesus was crucified naked. Mm. And that is humiliating. Mm. Right. He made a lot of good points from it. But my simple mind simply thinks in terms of he's able to identify with us when we're humiliated. Hmm. But he can be with us and yeah. help us through it because he's suffered humiliation far more degrading than we have. Yeah. And he's coming from the Godhead to do it. Right. Which is just an infinite plunge downward, whereas we're only creatures. Yeah. I think it's it's Philippians two, right? That's he considered equality with God something did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead mm-hmm. took on the form of a servant. Yeah. I think too it it lends even more like weight to the sacrifice that he made. That there was it wasn't just like painful physically, it was also just like socially completely hum, like yeah, humiliating is really the only word to use. Um yeah, I don't know. I think there's an extent to which it, it gives me even more appreciation to like for this reality that he he went to the cross for mm. like that's what we deserve is that death, that humiliation, that suffering, and like I don't know, just having that other layer makes me appreciate even more his willingness to do it. Mm. And I think not <clears throat> specifically the humiliation prophecy, but just the I think the way you phrased the question, Max, was something along the lines of, is it, does it make a difference or something to ask why these certain prophecies? Um, and I think not that any of them are arbitrary, but I think the layers of the prophecy give such uh, an incredible odds against this mm-hmm. person ever arriving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember reading somewhere that it was like, not even all of the messianic prophecies, but like, some of them, like 20 of them or something, the odds of, of one person meeting all of these prophecies was like one in like 10 trillion or something, right. like more people than have ever, or more than there have ever been people on the earth. Um, so just like astronomical odds that one person would ever meet all these prophecies. And so I think in the Old Testament, when we run into all those prophecies, I think God is just kind of setting himself up and setting us up to see like, no, like you unless you are being deliberate, you cannot miss what is about to happen here. Uh, and like a good example, I think is the, the prophecy about none of his bones being broken. Cause that's how they killed people on the cross is they mm. broke their legs. But right. like that didn't happen to Jesus. That's really unusual. And like the humiliation part is like, he wasn't just crucified. Um, but he was also humiliated. Like they're all just all these little details that God was just kind of putting in place beforehand. So that when it happened, it's like, if your eyes are open, you're going to see like the Roman guard did or the Roman soldier did like, he is the son of God. This is what you've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, and the irony is that, you know, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, like they knew all of these prophecies by heart and they still missed it. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. When he's being crucified and, and when he's, you know, being humiliated, he says like, he asked, you know, God, the father to forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Mm. Um, even the Roman soldiers who are intentionally mocking him for being, you know, quote, the king of the Jews, right? They know what they're doing. 
But is it that they don't know that he's the son of God? Is that what he's referring to? Like, Well, they didn't recognize, though, that it had infinite value, that they're crucifying not just another person, but God in the flesh. They don't realize that they're bringing about the salvation of the world. Hmm. There's The people I'm thinking about are the Pharisees. They have these scriptures memorized. They are putting him on the cross. They want him to die. It's not just their job like it is for the Roman soldiers. And yet, I'm pretty sure Jesus is including them. Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Hmm. Thank you, Chelsea, for the number 423. <laughs> Let's get into topic of the week. Topic of the week this week is brought to you by the Boomerang Course. Hmm. Are you a people person? Does it bother you when people are ignored? Do you yes. want to be part of a movement within our church to help people come to salvation, fit in, and experience the abundant Christian life? Come be a part of Boomerang at Bloomingdale Church. Learn how to engage with guests and make people feel known, noticed, and loved. The Blue the Bloomerang Church. <laughs> the Boomerang Course, Sundays, July 11th through August 29th at 10.30 a.m. Visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash boomerang to learn more. Uh, Bill, you're teaching that course, right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. What is it all about? Well, that's a good synopsis. It's in the coffee house, and I'm hopeful that a group of people will say, I want to do this with you. At a personal level, it helps the student just become a little more adept socially. Hmm. But at the church level, it's... Oh, going to enable us to create a little bit more warmth and, and to do some things that um, in the past, a course similar to this has brought to bear. For instance, one of the class assignments was to just start walking around a building and seeing what does the church need changed in order to make it better for the guest. And one of the things they latched onto was the dumpster. So this is awful. You know, this is just it's kind of like sitting out there in a the parking lot. It's not like that at Willow Creek. And then they started talking about what Willow Creek had done. Yeah. So you'll notice there's all these nice, tall, um, I want to call them Mission Arboretum plants, yeah, bushes. Yeah, like the little trees. They, trees bushes. they the were planted there in order to keep that dumpster from being so obvious. Cool. Another problem was in the lobby, we had all this literally junk laying around on the floor of the lobby because people were saying, I'm returning my Pyrex dishes to you. Mm. And so we had the whole floor was just lined with this stuff and it looked terrible. So we came up with the idea, why don't we put a cabinet out there and that's where you put this stuff. So it's just not laying all over the place. Mm. So I'm hopeful that new things come up out of this class too that make our church better. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Why is it called boomerang class or boomerang? People course? come back. Right? Yeah. They go the and come the back. guests come back. Is that mm -hmm. the idea? Yes. It sounds really cool. Yeah. Bill, but when when we first came, mm -hmm. you called me, I think, and left me a voicemail of you praying for me. And I really appreciated that. Um, I'm glad to hear that. So yeah. I think this is a super cool idea. Um, <clears throat> is there like an ideal? I know you said a people person bothers you when people are ignored. Is this for like, do you have to be established at Bloomingdale? Or like if somebody comes and hear about the course on their first time coming, like could they go to the course? They could. I, I don't know if they will because they just think, I don't know if I'm even going to go to this church. But, <laughs> but people that 
like the church, maybe they've been here a few times, they just say, you know what, I'd, I'd like to get in on this. Yeah. Awesome. Well, for Topic of the Week this week, it's time for Listener Mail. Scott, uh, the Listener Mail bell was, of course, stolen out of the back of Dan's van last oh. week. Uh, so what instrument have you brought instead? The Listener Mail violin. Oh, will you please screech away on the Listener Mail violin? <laughs> I don't know how to mimic a violin. So. You should have thought about that before. That's you... all I had. <laughs> <laughs> It's just going to sound like oh, singing. I, please. I think we could have a violin trio. Uh, Do we, yeah, you have to keep yeah, your lips closed? I'm just amazed that Bill brought a violin, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better join him. I, I don't play just the accordion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> there you have it. Well, here, let me... I'll just... I'll do my best approximation of the listener male bell on the violin. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> I like that. Uh, <laughs> listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rathers, trivia quizzes, and other instruments that Bill plays to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org, just like Lexi did. Lexi writes, hi, podcasters. I wanted to share two topics that I'm interested in hearing everyone's thoughts on, and despite what I say about them, feel free to take them in any direction you'd like. I'm excited to see some hard right turns and some heavy pivots from this. Pivot. <laughs> How will we talk about the Indians today? Uh, mm, Cleveland so, Indians? Uh, the Cleveland Indians today. <laughs> Long live Tito Francona. He came up greatest in manager in Major League Baseball. Wow. I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about baseball anymore. Um, <laughs> just believe it. Bloomingdale <laughs> <laughs> Church. Just uh, believe it. <laughs> question one will be this week. Uh, Self-care. This has been a hot topic <laughs> slash buzzword for the past year or so, and I've wondered how we should define it as Christians. Also, what is the balance between taking up our cross and doing too much mm. and knowing when to take a break? I look forward to hearing about these things whenever it happens. Thanks again, Lexi. Well, Lexi, it's happening now. Um, Lexi's the best. Lexi's the best. She Lexi always best. comes in with song suggestions for the live stream and so let's start questions with, for the podcast. Let's start with a little, uh, very true. Let's start with uh, her first question of how should Christians define self-care? Um, it's interesting. I appreciate the, the her kind of saying, you know, should Christians define self-care differently mm -hmm. than non-believers? You know, people who don't believe in a God or don't believe that we're made in the image of God. It seems like intrinsically there should be some difference there, right? I think it's worth, before we dive into that, just, she mentioned this, and I think if you're someone that lives on the internet, like millennials and Gen Zers are, then you probably know this, but yeah. if you're not, yeah. which I think a good amount of our listenership probably isn't, uh -huh. then it's worth mentioning, like, why she said that it's been kind of like a buzzword over the last year, hmm. um, and like, what people are saying about it, because it, it's like, it's social media, right? That's where sure. you see people talking about self-care a lot, mm -hmm. Um so I feel like that's worth at least just talking about so that we can clearly distinguish between what they're talking about sure. and what we're talking about, if it is different. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's a lot of definitions, even just in secular culture about self-care. Hmm. Um, I, <laughs> I bought a sweatshirt from a website that the name of the website is self-care is for everyone. Um, and it's a sweatshirt <coughs> that says one day at a time. And uh, that's a motto that I sort of uh, Chris reminds me of um, regularly because I, I see too much all at one time. Um, and so one of the things that is really cool about that particular website is it sort of normalizes um, people having mental health challenges or um, 
having feelings or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there can be a lot of positive messages that come along with self-care in our secular culture. And Mm -hmm. also very selfish perspectives that come along with self care. Mm. It's like, Oh, I went and got my nails did like self care. And you're like, Oh, okay. Uh, Like doing things for yourself, very selfishly motivated, not necessarily from a negative perspective or a negative place, but it can be this, this so much focus on self and doing things Mm. for yourself and putting yourself first. So there's, um, I don't know if Scott, that's kind of what you were thinking. Yeah. I'm glad you took, cause I knew, the general idea of what I was saying, but I didn't actually know what came next. <laughs> I just knew there was something that should come next. But I think that that's a, a really good point. Like, you know, the idea of getting your nails done, for example. I think it's people identify self-care as like... Wait, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. I think for certain people, getting their nails done could be a form of self-care. If that's mm-hmm. something that like just really brings them a lot of joy and peace for whatever reason, sure. um, like I think that's valid. And I think the danger maybe comes in people identifying certain activities as, oh, this is self-care. Maybe it is for them, mm-hmm. but maybe for other people... Mm-hmm. It's not. And if we get this idea like, oh, self-care is spending money on myself. It's, sure. you know, making lavish purchases, whatever, because that's what it is for this other person. Yeah. Um, then I think it can really start getting like selfish. Whereas, you know, again, for that person, maybe something about having their nails done. Maybe their mom used to do their nails when they were a little girl and it just really makes sense. It's like their, their only chance where they get out of the house away from yeah, the yeah. kids and so the stress So it's like, you know, identifying like, why is this self-care? It's not just because like I pampered myself or it's not because I just spent a ton of money on myself. Right. Um, right. But there might be something more to it. And I think it's also important to, to make it clear that, you know, you, uh, Chelsea, you mentioned like having mental health issues and troubles and things like that. Um, that self care is ultimately as an idea, I believe, and this is what we're going to talk about, like for everyone, like mm-hmm. you don't need to say about yourself. Like I struggle with mental health. Like even if you are fully confident that you do not struggle with mental health, like self care is still for you. Self care mm-hmm. as, uh, I'm sure we'll get into was certainly for Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. he made every opportunity to, to center himself on the Holy spirit and, and be with the father, which he said himself is like what gave him life. Um, so to return to the question, how then should we as Christians define self care? Um, if we're sort of separating out the um, more selfish motivations or uh, sort of different, uh, what, what I would call like flags or signals of self-care uh, that might be a little more secular, like spending a certain amount of money or like having to, you know, uh, do something particularly fancy or impressive or, or what have mm-hmm. you. Um, you know, how do Christians define self-care? All right. I'd like to take a crack at it. Yeah. I'm thinking of the words from the scriptures, and whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's what keeps self-care from becoming selfish care. Mm. So a person who's doing it for the glory of God, even if they're doing the very same thing as the person next to them who's doing it for themselves and themselves only, <laughs> over time... You're going to see a difference between the two. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know that you're going to see it right away, though. I think mm-hmm. it's just going to take time, and it's probably going to be an attitudinal difference that you notice. And, and a focal, the focal point being different, Jesus Christ, I'm trying to glorify him, versus focal point being me, I need my space and my money and my 
fingernails being done. <laughs> have created you, you really start to see a big difference. Mm. And the, the second one, the one who's, it's all about me, 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 is very unattractive. So their self-care actually is like ugly cream. <laughs> Whereas the person who's doing it for the glory of God, it, it really is a beautiful thing to behold. Mm. And I think it, maybe you hear that and you wonder, like, how can I do self-care for the glory exactly. of God? Like, well, it's in the Bible. Like the Sabbath, yeah, that was it's a day of rest. That mm-hmm. is a form of caring for yourself. You know, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, like for man to to decompress from work and to center himself on God. And so there's like a perfect example of, of a form of self-care that is inherently glorifying to God because you're obeying um, kind of the structure that he established mm-hmm. uh, and his law. Yeah. And I think there's something too, uh, we brought this up a couple weeks ago, the fact that the Sabbath, there's no such thing as like the sa- a Sabbath from God. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. God is always right. present. He is always what sustains you. He is always what gives you life. Um, and so we have a Sabbath from work, even though as, as uh, we'll talk about in, in, the, in a future episode, and we've talked mm-hmm. about before, like, you know, work is part of creation and, and work is mm-hmm. probably par- part of heaven. Like, we have a break from that, but we don't have a break from, from God. And so that tells us something about what is and isn't necessary and what is ultimately like rejuvenating to us. What were you going to say, Chelsea? Um, well, as you were asking the question about how should we as Christians understand self-care, the thing that immediately came into my, my, my mind was Sabbath. Um, mm. And, you know, it's, the thing that we can do um, for in terms of self-care that is going to be the most, it's going to reap the the most, um, <laughs> what's what I'm trying to say? The result will be what the desire, like, so the desire of self-care is to feel refreshed, to yeah. feel, you know, all of these positive outcomes. The only thing that's actually going to have that result is connecting with God mm. um, in a way that is, you know, spiritually refreshing. Um, and, and I think that that all, so much of that comes from like our design, we're made in God's image. So, so in that sense, yes, yeah, self care is for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Every person, every self is worthy of care, mm-hmm. um, and prioritizing care for self. But the best way that we can do that because we are image bearers is to be in relationship with God. Um, mm-hmm. so for us, self care needs to be intimately connected with connecting with God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Amen. that's Amen. good Chelsea. Yeah. So I think that that's the main difference. It's, it's not inherently in the activities that we do. Um, but it's in who, who we're inviting into them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it's okay. Like Jesus, you, you mentioned this, Max, Jesus went alone to pray and to connect with God. And like, that wasn't selfish. Mm-hmm. It was, he was modeling for us what we are called to do in the midst of being pulled in every direction by, you know, he had multitudes, so many people coming up to him and asking things of him, whether it was to be freed of, you know, an unclean spirit or um, to be healed of a disease. And he had all of these things and all of these like noob disciples who don't know what's going on. And they're wicked confused most of the time, which is really funny. Um, But he, instead of getting caught up in all of that, had his priority priorities in the right place. And, 
and found and made time for being alone with the father. Hmm. And like, I think for those of us in ministry, like that's a really important thing for us to like follow that model of, of being alone with the Lord. Hmm. Um, Cause otherwise like, it's just exa- like life is exhausting. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, <clears throat> He often left crowds, right? He left crowds of people who wanted to hear him speak, who wanted to be healed by him, um, which still kind of boggles my mind. And I think that's something that I really struggle with in terms of wrapping my head around it and, and my relationship with with work and with self-care and things mm-hmm. like that is is sort of this other question that, that Lexi's getting out of, you know, as she says it, what is the balance between taking up our cross and doing too much? Um, and this sort of gets into a, a boundaries discussion that uh, I'm always grateful that we have Bill on the show uh, because he can give us some f- fire us and some brimstone wisdom. about boundaries. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I still struggle to, to really understand, and I'm, I'm glad that Jesus is God so that we know that he's right. Uh, and that's so I don't have to second guess, like, what is Jesus doing? Why is he doing this? I can say, okay, why don't I understand why Jesus is doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, but what is the difference between, you know, sort of uh, encouraging ourselves or encouraging one another, like, I know you're tired, but take up your cross, versus I know you're tired, but get back to work, um, versus, you know, trying to, to do too much. It does remind me, the way that Lexi words it reminds me of Jesus saying that we should take on his yoke um, because it is easy. Uh, and the fact is, as, as we've said, that if God is the one who is guiding our steps, right, if God is the one who is uh, laying out, uh, as you said, Chelsea, like sort of one day at a time, um, the things that we're to do, uh, then that means he's also allotting for us things that will heal us, things that will rejuvenate us, things that will relax us and encourage us. And, you know, he's our shepherd and he, he feeds us and he moves us and he gives us a chance to rest <coughs> as well. Um, so maybe my answer to that is like the difference is not necessarily telling God, no, you're wrong. I need to keep doing X, Y, and Z. This work that you've given me is more important than you. So I need to keep doing that instead of being with you. I saw Scott scrolling. He's looking for something. You're finding mm-hmm. a, a passage of scripture. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's just bored. <laughs> uh, lost my interest. <laughs> <laughs> blah, blah, so I was, Jesus. <laughs> I was looking at the passage where Jesus says, take up their cross. Cause it didn't really sit quite right with me to use that in this the context. same kind, yeah, in the context of like Doing overworking, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just want to read, I'll just read this little chunk. Um, it's only a few verses. Uh, this is from Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. Um, and so just kind of, as this is kind of, obviously I've read this passage before, but thinking of it in this context, these are just kind of my initial thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to be killed. And Peter tells him that that's not going to happen. And then Jesus' response is to rebuke Peter. And then it immediately says he went to his, he turned to his disciples and he says, um, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and follow me. And so when I hear that, I think, um, you know, Jesus is basically saying like the way that you're thinking about life is not the way that you have thought about life is not the way that you need to think about life anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, because when you follow me, as I am going to be crucified, what's fascinating to me about this is that we think of this passage, this verse, always in hindsight, right? right. We know Jesus was crucified, but they didn't know that Jesus was going to be when crucified yet. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So this is such a weird thing for him to say. For Jesus, his cross, of course, was the actual cross, but for his disciples, all of his disciples, not just those 12, the cross that, that we all bear is is kind of like the burden and and or that's not even the really the right word but but the the path that God has for us as as his disciples it's it's being called a Christian and having all of the things that will happen to you because of that happen and what's interesting is that right at the end almost as a non sequitur he says some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom um and we've talked about this before, that almost all of the disciples were martyred, except for John, mm-hmm. who was boiled in oil, but then survived. Right. Um, and so, like, for each of them, the cross that they took up was different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what, what we see there is that taking up your cross, it doesn't mean, like, you know, denying yourself in the sense of, like, never being happy or, or whatever. It means, like, the cross that has been prepared for you as a follower of Jesus, like the the things that he's going to have you to do, the good works that he's prepared for you in advance, and in the case of his disciples, like the death that was awaiting them for being his followers. And then that's true for a lot of people around the world today too. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, I think that the cross is not just like, you know, uh, a linguistic excuse to like overwork. I don't think it really has anything to do with work or commitment to scheduling things. It's a commitment to Christ mm-hmm. uh, and whatever that might entail. And so for some people, like the international workers who were here this last weekend, like their cross meant leaving behind their lives in the U.S. and going somewhere else and, and having that ministry there. And for us, in some ways, our cross means, you know, the the sacrifices that we make to do our work here. And for others in our church who are in ministry, their cross might be being socially isolated in their work. Like it could be anything, but it's like, I think it's, it's the, the mantle of like, of being a follower of Christ is what it is, what it's talking about. I think, um, you know, the idea of taking up your cross, I, it almost sounds like, and I could be reading into Lexi's question too much that it's almost like that's something that other people might impose on you mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in asking more and be like, well, you just kind of take up your cross, you know? Oh. And, and I don't know if that's where she's coming from and yeah. maybe that's my cynicism coming into play. Um, but I certainly think that that's a problematic uh, situation in and of itself um, where, you know, we don't necessarily need to get into all of that. Um, but regarding the, uh, can you read the question one more time? Actually, um, what is the balance between taking up our cross and doing too much and knowing when to take a break? 
yeah, the, the, okay. Doing too much and knowing when to take a break. Um, you know, there people are gonna have different thresholds Mm -hmm. for what is too much. I remember in, um, in college I had friends who were taking like the maximum amount of credits they could and were involved with all sorts of different extracurricular things and were working like 30 hours a week. And I was like, literally, how do you even, Mm -hmm. I was like, I can barely survive with just doing like this many credits and not having a job and like having one extra thing. Um, so I think that's a really important thing for us to remember too, as the body of Christ, that people's threshold for how much they can handle is going to look different. Um, and allowing space for people to, to bow out of things, to say no to things, um, Mm. to take care of themselves, um, in whatever way they might uniquely do that. Um, and I think knowing when to take a break or to say no, um, I speaking from personal experience, drive myself into the ground Mm. (laughs) and have a very hard time saying no. And boundaries are a really big challenge for me. And I think the ways in which I see that, um, growth area manifest the most is in, um, like how it negatively affects my connection with God. Mm. So, you know, times when I am burning the candle at both ends and also the middle, um, you know, it's when I have no brain space, you know, I, I try to do my devotions and like, I can't think straight because it's all the things in my brain that are, are on the to-do list or the to-do tomorrow list or didn't do it yesterday list or whatever. Um, that, that for me is kind of a, a barometer for hmm. when there's too much and a break needs to be had or something needs to be <laughs> cut off or something. Um, I think that, you know, if we're, t- what we're talking about, with self-care is Sabbath. It's um, connecting with the God, you know, whose image we bear. If that is suffering um, in our lives, I think it's a really good indication that um, there's too much on the plate and it could be really good things too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So there's some of the, some of the thoughts I'm having regarding yeah, that question. For sure. True. I do want to say I, you saying that thing about other people imposing mm. that. I <laughs> yeah, hope that, I heard. <laughs> I hope that that hasn't happened to anyone in our church. I hope, certainly, I hope it's never happened to anyone at our church. Um, but if someone uses that passage to like make you feel guilty about not volunteering anywhere, like ooh, don't give that person the time of day. Like they are, <laughs> they are abusing that scripture mm-hmm. to get you to do what they want you to do. Sure. Um, and then, sorry, I just, I really, Chelsea said that and I was like, oh, I hope that that's never happened, yeah. but I'm sure it has somewhere. Yeah. And that's, don't, mm, just like if, don't feel like, oh my gosh, they're using the Bible. They must be right. Like, no, they're misusing <laughs> the Bible. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think um, the, like, when do you need to take a break? I think, you know, we already t- touched on it, but I'm going to come back to it again. Like the idea of, of a Sabbath, like is super important and um it's it's like it's it's been there from like the ground zero of the entire created order like god rested on the seventh day not because he needed to not because he was tired but because he was establishing this rhythm for the rest of mm-hmm. maybe eternity but at least the world um that like it's good to rest and like so it, it's it it's not just a part of the levitical law it 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 goes even before that and um and so i think that's really like we need to be taking that that day to recenter ourselves. And if if you are finding other things creeping in, like 
don't, don't let them like that Sabbath, that day needs to be set apart for you and your family to be with God. Uh, and I think if you do that, because we don't like as a society, like yeah. it's rare that people really do take that, that Sabbath seriously. Um, I think if you do that, you'll find like that the rest of the week, like you've got a lot in the tank mm-hmm. um, because you're building in that rhythm of rest and being very intentional about re-centering yourself on what really matters. Um, I also think about uh, A.B. Simpson, who uh, is the founder of our denomination, uh, for those of you who don't know, and he was a very sickly man. And yet, God just seemed to give him this boundless energy and zeal to accomplish so much in his lifetime. Um, and so I think, uh, and uh, I'm, he, of course, as the founder of the denomination that we were a part of, like he, his, his connection with God, not because he's the, fa- but like he just, he had a, a deep faith um, and it was a, a hugely integral part of his life. And so you, you can be confident that he was connecting with God regularly uh, and God sustained him for the work that he had for him to do. Hmm. Uh, and so like, I think when you're, when you're faithful uh, and when you are resting in the way that God designed you to rest and, and, and connecting with him regularly and, and, <clears throat> and centering your life on him, like he, he'll sustain you through the things that he has for you to do. Hmm. Well, I think of A.B. Simpson, uh, I've got misgivings because he was a wonderful man of God, but he was, he was a, workaholic to the max. Mm-hmm. He would get on that train early in the morning, go into the city. He'd work 16, probably 18 hour days. So he's left his wife and six children behind to go do that all the time. Mm-hmm. It gets interpreted different depending upon what era of history you're in. In mm-hmm. his era, it was like, God bless him. You know, he's burning brightly for Christ. In our era, we look at something like that and we just say, this man's life is way out of balance. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's having so many health problems. Mm-hmm. And I get the impression that his children didn't really walk with God. Mm-hmm. So you, you look at all that and you think, okay, you can't necessarily point the finger at A.B. Simpson, this is why your children aren't walking with God, because... Everybody has to be accountable to God for themselves. You can't blame your father or your mother, and you can't write in on their coattails either. Right. But but those are the thoughts going through my mind with self care and um, workaholism. Mm-hmm. Have Have you struggled with workaholism at all? Oh yeah. When you plant a church, you are workaholic. Mm. You, you just either do it or it doesn't happen. So Nancy and I put in an enormous amount of time and it worked out wonderfully, yet when you're only thinking about your work, you are a workaholic. Mm. When you're thinking in terms of this is what would make it better, this is this is too bad I'm I'm doing not at work right now because of, boy, I'd really like to be doing work. You, you are a workaholic. I've had to learn not to be one. Mm-hmm. What made the difference? Having children. Mm-hmm. 
when Joel and Nicole were in our lives as young children, it was a case of, all right, you don't want to miss out on our lives. Mm-hmm. This day is the only day you can count on. And if you bury yourself in work and you're not with them, you don't get this day back. Hmm. So that really helped my life a lot. Hmm. That I want to be with them. I want to have all these wonderful memories of them, and I want them to have wonderful memories of growing up. Hmm. So I think having children was the biggest deal. Hmm. The other thing that happens is part of nature too. You don't have the stamina. So I really was at my best stamina-wise when I was very young, 21, 22, 23. When I got to 25 or 6, I started noticing I'm not recovering from youth retreats hmm. instantaneously <laughs> like I did when I was 21. Yeah. There, was, there was no recovery when I was 21. There, there just wasn't. Hmm. But there was when I was 26. And part of it was what was just going on in terms of it's just not turning my crank anymore mm-hmm. to be with kids at a retreat. So naturally, you just don't have that extra energy. But then when you get in your 30s, when I was in my 30s and the children were young, my body ached all the time. Mm-hmm. I remember one day David said to me, do you ever wake up and you just like everything just feels like it's aching? And my response to him was, you mean you have days where you don't feel that way? <laughs> and I was serious as a heart attack. I, I just thought, hey, I'm 30. I'm over the hill. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm aching. And then I learned about eight, nine, ten years later when the kids were not messing around with car seats, diaper bags, strollers, when that was all behind us, I'm riding bikes with the kids. And it's like, I don't feel achy all the time. I, mm. I feel younger at 40 than I did at 30. <laughs> How cool is this? And then really, I feel really, really good at 68. Yeah, I bet. Part of it's because I don't have those little boogers living in my home with me. <laughs> and the way I know that for certain is when Lucy and Silas come visit us, Nancy and I are completely exhausted. Right. Mm-hmm. Completely exhausted. I mean, like, do we need to check into a hospital? It's it's that exhausted. <laughs> so, what would you say to workaholic Bill? Why don't you trust God with this church? Hmm. He's the one that wants it planted more than you. Hmm. He can turn things. He he can turn things around or make something explosively wonderful happen in a twinkle of an eye and you you can't do that through just hard work mm-hmm. and and i that thought was really heavy on my mind in my late 30s early 40s that hmm. god can do more in a moment than i can do in a thousand years trust him and the big things that happen in in a church's life are things like people get healed well i you, you just can't say, well, I worked a thousand hours and now that person's healed. It doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. Or their marriage comes together. And it's not because you worked a thousand hours that their marriage came together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things that really matter for eternity don't come 
by virtue of hard work. Yeah. Hard work might lead up to it. A good example would be church's program is wonderful. We've got all these things going on, and it took a lot of hard work to bring that to pass. But the stuff that matters for eternity doesn't happen just because you have Sunday school, children's church, Awana, Alpha. You can have all that stuff and nothing's happening. Mm. Is the same true in a secular workplace? The same advice of like, trust God with this church, like trust God with this. Yeah. I think that's what makes a Christian businessman so attractive, that he's trusting God. You look at, I'll tell you somebody I admire, the Waterman brothers. They started that business from scratch. They worked hard, but it wasn't their be-all and end-all of life. It mattered a lot to them. But Dale and Doug both raised wonderful families. They spent a lot of time with their children. They spent a lot of time here at church. Uh, In fact, I I can't get over the energy level of the Watermans. Mm. They could come here night after night after night and serve with youth, serve with Awana, serve on a board. They really, they really did an enormous amount of work. Mm. But, it, but it wasn't, I just didn't get the impression it was workaholism. And people have different capacities too. Um, in our church, the person I think that has the greatest capacity for hard work is Dave Lorenz. Mm. I just He never stops. He is like <laughs> boundless in energy. It's it's just amazing. So he can accomplish a lot more than the guy next to him because Dave's got the energy for it. Mm-hmm. Does <laughs> I'm that... glad he's on our side. <laughs> <laughs> well, because there's hey, there's people with that much energy and they're just literally fiends out of hell. Mm. You know, and they're creating enormous problems for all of society but hmm. but they're working 90 100 hours a week yeah yeah so devil's advocate uh or just a question i have too as someone who's in ministry and struggles with with boundaries and being new to ministry like how do how do we as people who our ministry is our job like create good boundaries and like learn to say no. Cause there's always stuff going on. There's always mm-hmm. a program that needs help. There's always a person that needs help. There's always so many things. Um, and so this is coming from a place of, Hey, I do not have this figured out. Um, and there's always going to be people asking. And sometimes those people are other staff members, which, you know, mm-hmm. looks different than a lay person. I don't know. So like how, how would you suggest like, or what would you recommend to help like early on in, in my ministry career, for lack of a better way of phrasing that, like how to, for the long term, like how to, how to do that. All right. These are the things that have helped me the most. You spend some time with God alone and you ask him, what's important to you for me to do today? Mm. In the tangible world, what really turned the corner for me was the Franklin Planner. Mm. 
Okay. You take a two or three day course in the Franklin Planner and you come out with a real basic idea. And the idea is you plan your day, you prioritize what you want done first, second, third, fourth, and then because your day is planned, it helps you to not fall into the trap that I was living in for probably a good 10 years. Making people's crises my own crises. Mm. And I had a lot of people living on the edge up in Longer, a lot of alcoholics, a lot of drug addicts. And they always live at the state of emergency. Mm. Their whole mm. life is an emergency. So they'd call me with their daily emergency. And I'd feel like, well, I got I to gotta do something. I'm a pastor, I and mean, this is my calling in life. And it took a long time, a minimum of 10 years to learn, your emergency is not my calling in life. Hmm. Your emergency is God's way of trying to wake you up to you need to change your life. Hmm. And I am not going to palliate that. That's your problem. I'm going to do my best for you, but I'm not going to do it 24-7. There's other people in the world. There's something important that has to happen. And that, that was a really slow lesson to learn. I mean, so slow that I just look at it and think, wow. But at least I finally learned it. Because hmm. honestly, there's some people out there 75 years old still living that way hmm. as pastors. Yeah. They just, they just never get to the place where they are doing what God really wanted them to do on earth. So don't feel bad, Chelsea, if you feel like, oh, I just can't get a handle on it. It's, it's like learning to play the piano. You, you just don't learn because you practice real hard for a week. It, it just, <laughs> you just have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And you start picking up some nuances and some rules of thumb, and eventually you get over the hump. <laughs> you think, ah, this is a better life. Hmm. So don't even be embarrassed by it. It's, it shows that you're, you're concerned and you're trying and you're giving it your best. That, that, that's the good side of it. Hmm. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on boundaries, on self-care, on workaholism? <laughs> Scott, you got your brow furrowed. I don't, I don't know. I was just trying to think if I had any final thoughts. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I mean, I think a big takeaway from today, as we've been talking about this to bring it back to, mm -hmm. you know, how do Christians, should Christian Christians possessive self-care look different or be defined differently than culture. As you think about yourself, remember that that self is made in God's image. Amen. Um, and so maybe it's Imago Dei care <laughs> and really making sure that whatever you're doing to care for yourself, if it's rooted in connecting with God, it's going to give you the results that you desire. And it's also going to be in line with what, what he has called us to do in his word. Yeah. Amen. Listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rathers, <laughs> trivia quizzes, and things you're going to do to represent the Imago Day to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org for our closing segment this week. It's time for Where in the Bible is Carmen Sandiego. Bill, do you have time for this? 
Sure. Sweet. Yeah, we've got five minutes. Um, uh, we have three... Oh, I'm going to finish tearing these pieces of paper. Okay. We have three passages of Scripture, and each of you will tell us the book, chapter, and verse that they are uh, referred by. You have pens in front of you. Here, Bill, you can have this oh my one. goodness. I don't know if I signed up for this. Last week, Max thought he was helping by making them all in Romans, and I was like, the book is literally the one part that I sometimes get right. True. <laughs> now, I'm glad you mentioned me. that. Because I have once again taken liberties to try and make this a little more favorable. All right. Bless. Indeed, I have tried to make this more favorable to Scott in particular. Little did I know he would put me in such a horrible bind as to give me the World Series 3000. I'm not feeling like you deserve what I did for you today. Oh, that's fine. Um, but uh, Guys, marriages are 100% on both sides, okay? Well, both I'm giving 100%. <laughs> He's giving 20%. All right, uh, fine. Giving 3,000%. So today's... So don't you wink at me. So today's theme is verses that I know for a fact Scott at one point knew the references to. Oh, wow. Um, so a few of those. So you can, <laughs> what'd you say? So there's, there's only, only a few. few. Yes, there are. Um, so uh, to start us off, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may always be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Uh, sorry. Uh, you know the place to... You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Uh, so it all came together at the end. Uh, Listeners, for a long time, I was like, I never knew the references. I am familiar with this passage. (laughs) I probably never forget that. (laughs) So listeners can build out their scorecards at home. Again, it's basically a tic tac toe with an extra line on top. You would have known this too if it hadn't been cut from day camp. camp. (laughs) Oh, Uh, is everybody ready? If you need more time, let me know. I'm just gonna like listen and learn. All right, I like it. Uh, It's in the New Testament. But bl- that's true. Guess Jesus book. said it. Guess, guess a book. book. You, you get a one point that. for each. So yeah, one point for the book, one so point for the chapter. So the possibility of maybe one point, maybe. Mm-hmm. Unless you get, unless unlikely. you accidentally guess I, the verse. Yeah, you can guess. Well, sometimes, the other yeah, one. sometimes, sometimes you just you play guessing the numbers pays there. off. <laughs> <laughs> We've had empires built on guessing. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna let them go first, and then I'll decide whether or not I want to even voice my. All right, what I wrote. first, <laughs> Bill. John fourteen one to eight. Scott. John 14, 1 to 7. And Chelsea. I wrote John. <laughs> so it is John 14, 1 to 7. Hooray! So it is three uh, points for Bill, three points for, Thra- for Scott, and one point for Chelsea. Oh, boy. Oh, I'm so excited for the two titans of industry to go head to head. Bill with his knowledge of the whole Bible. Bill and Scott with his knowledge of, of these specific verses. these verses, I guess. This All is right. like, like huge mega industries, and I'm over here. I'm like Chuck E. Cheese. I'm like, mm, I got maybe one point. All right, go ahead, no, Max. That's See, me normally. See, <laughs> there's a reason that Scott doesn't do the favorite. Toastmasters. There's a reason I don't do where in the Bible is covered in San Diego. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, beautiful are the feet of those who bring 
good news. Uh, listeners may remember this from the song uh, Scott wrote for the guilds when they left. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so I'm excited okay. to see you wrote a song for them. You still remember the reference to that? I now, think I do. Now Chelsea never knew the guilds. I definitely don't know the verse. Or indeed, indeed the Langendorfers. Or indeed. the Kugels. Or, or I the, think I met or Danny Eskies. Munoz <laughs> or the Munozes. All of these people worked here. Anybody? <laughs> Danny Munoz worked here while you were here. What? Danny Munoz worked here while you were here. Yeah. Uh, wow. I didn't know that. Really? Oh, okay. I mean, I didn't. Well, know. who knew? Anyway, uh, who's not ready? Everybody ready? I'm not ready for the. I can't think of the chapter. Y'all ready for this? Do you have the verses? Yeah, I think I might be okay <laughs> there. I'm not, I'm not positive. Max, <laughs> yes. can I phone a friend? You've got the cheat sheet. Uh, yes. Read the first verse again, though. How then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? <clears throat> how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, of course, these are all in the NIV. Uh, I believe Bill's Bible is entirely written in Greek, uh, except for the occasional Aramaic. <laughs> no, no, no. Aramaic. It's Aramaic. Arabic? Except for the Old Testament, which is, of course, in Dutch. <laughs> the original language of the of Hebrews. Course. Dutch. Uh, All right. Chelsea, you're no, up first. Nope. I got. I literally put nothing down. You put nothing. I down? I put nothing down. You I don't believe you. Let me see your paper. I literally put nothing down. It says John 10, 14, That was seven from the first one. one. All right, so that'll be her guess again. Uh, <laughs> no. Scott, uh, I said Romans ten five to six. And Bill. Oh yeah. Okay, I put Romans four twelve to sixteen. It is Romans ten fourteen to sixteen. So I did Bill, have the verses. Bill and Scott tie again, and Chelsea. Can I tell you though? I was like, I think Chelsea gets. I point. thought it was probably um, something that Paul wrote. I'm glad <laughs> so, it was the Romans one and not the Isaiah one that he was right. quoting because yes. I do not remember what the chapter well, is. What yeah, beautiful are written. the feet of those? Yeah. So is going that, into our yeah. final round now, it is Bill five, Scott five, Chelsea three. No, I have one. Uh, so Chelsea two. No, I counted your entry because Scott read it, and so I was like, sure. And and actually, you accidentally got one of the verses right for the last one. Oh, uh, if you say so. Let's do this. The final uh, <laughs> final question. If Bill wins this somehow, I'm going to jump out of my chair. <laughs> Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept commands. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Huh. Hmm. You're making some assumptions here. <laughs> you know what they say about assuming. Indeed, I am, Scott. <laughs> Perhaps some false assumptions. <laughs> no, I just, I don't remember that. I put a guess down. It's probably wrong, but I at least went for it. Chelsea, half this game is guessing. Most of this game is guessing. Dan often gets second place by purely guessing. He's never even read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Buddhist. <laughs> All right, Chelsea, you're up first. <laughs> Second Kings 16. Second Kings 16 verse what? Whatever we're doing in small group tonight. I have no idea. Right. I don't know what verse is. Lovely. Uh, let's go with Scott first. I don't know uh, if that's I accurate. Second Kings 18, 1 to 4. Okay. And Bill. 
Hmm. I put Second Chronicles 30, 28 to 30. That might also be right. <laughs> it better not be right. <laughs> it is First Kings. Did I say First Kings in the email? Uh-huh. Oops. <laughs> it is First Kings Wait, 18, 5 How to is that 8. possible? I don't know. How is it First Kings also about... Hezekiah. <laughs> it is second. I'm sorry. It yeah, is second. Thinking, Kings. Wait a minute. That's we're know, my I'm mind. Like, I'm like we're talking Kings about Hezekiah tonight, and it's in Second Kings. So if I put First Kings, what's he doing over there? <laughs> my mistake. That is that is that is First King. Uh, second Kings. Eighteen. Okay. Uh, I was which, close. Which means Scott is our big winner. Woo! Only one point shy of a perfect game. Woo! Man, well done. Nice. Yes. Uh, I have, of course, your uh, jelly really beans for when you. <laughs> Jelly beans for winning bets two weeks ago. Oh jelly beans for winning this week. And Bill, your jelly beans for tying with Dan for Carmen San Diego last week. No jelly beans for Gretchen mm. Wieners. <laughs> I've had a lot of Mean Girls references lately. Indeed not. That is all the time that we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank, Thank you, Max. Thank you, Max. Chelsea. Yeah. Take us home. Oh, it's been a minute. You can do this. Hold on. You can do this. Even you. How does it start off again? It starts with you've. You've been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. Brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. Way to go, Chelsea. All right, Max. Let's do a sound check. Check, 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 check. Yeah. Chick, 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 chicken. Chicken, chicken. Toast. <laughs> Roast beef. Roast beef. All right. <laughs> That's a boy named Muffin. Paramount yeah. Pictures the presents. The other option is a girl named Arnold Jasper. <laughs> oh, by, oh, how could you do that to you a girl? go by Jas. Or like Arnie. Jazz. Arnold? Noldy? I mean, it's, it's horrible. Nolda? Oh, I hope they just say, we're calling her AJ. <laughs> Since we haven't started yet, can I take this call real quick? Okay. <coughs> you have to put on speaker. Hello, my beloved. Up.